Please rise in body or spirit for our call to worship. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol God, all you peoples. For great is God's steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Seated. 
grace and peace to you, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us worshiping in the sanctuary and also all of you worshiping at home. We are glad and grateful to gather today in the name of the Lord. And because it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we have gathered, our word of welcome carries no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. Christ welcomes all, and so in his name we greet you and we welcome all. We are indeed glad to be together. I'd like to invite everyone to a brief time of fellowship at the conclusion of the service on our 21st Street sidewalk. You may get there either by exiting through the rear or through the door to my right and go down the ramp. There you will find that the deacons have put out some coffee and lemonade and cookies, but mostly the opportunity for us to gather together. We are in week two of a five-week sermon series, which I am now sort of realizing is a sermon series about all the things we're not supposed to talk about. And so because I'm going to get the first word in the sermon, I very much want the congregation to have the chance to talk back. And so at 12.15 today in the McCall Room, Bill Leonard will be our chief interrogator of the sermon, but Bill has assured me he intends to interrogate you as well. So uh, grab a cookie at coffee hour and a cup of lemonade or coffee and come on up to the call room. We'll open the windows and have plenty of fresh air so that we can be together and discuss things that frankly matter to us. I'd also like to ask you to come an hour early next Sunday and enjoy brunch together on Chancellor Street. We've, we believe we have gotten all of our ducks in a row to be able to cl close Chancellor Street next Sunday to allow for a brunch. Should anything uh, not work out on that, we will notify you by email and on the church website so that you, uh, you don't have to come an hour early for that. But hopefully we will have the opportunity to enjoy one another's company and to get to have good conversation out in the fresh air next Sunday on Chancellor Street. And, of course, if it's raining, that would, would cancel it as well. With these things noted, let us continue our worship now with our confession of sin. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us pray together. Holy God, as we remember our baptism, we are free to acknowledge the ways we have sinned. Though you have made us for love, we have not loved. Though you have made us for community, we have broken the good fellowship you would give us. Though you have made us to be human, we have not lived up to our holy calling. We make judgments about others and reduce their humanity. We have been less than you would have us be. Forgive us, we pray. Remind us always of the high expectations you have for us. 
and the even higher love with which you redeem us to fulfill your expectations. We offer these and all of our prayers in the name of the Jesus Christ. while God may be found. Call on the Lord while God is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and evil ones their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and God will have mercy on them. For the Lord freely pardons. Friends, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first scripture lesson is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. Listen for the word of the Lord. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
He said to him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend." Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Here ends the first reading. Our epistle lesson is taken from the 12th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. We read there beginning at the 9th verse and continuing through the 21st. Listen for the word of God to us this day. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of saints and extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. 
Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I think we can all agree that violence is bad. The disagreements start shortly thereafter as to what is just harmless fun what constitutes dangerous violence and what must be avoided at all costs. Consider for a moment the pervasiveness of violence in our culture. If you think of it, we begin encountering violence at an early age, as soon as the anvil hits Wild E. Coyote's head, we have our first encounters with violence. And interestingly, the crushed skull of Wild E always reinflates and everything is fine. And you can take a riff on this and cover most of children's cartoons, at least the ones I remember. Tom and Jerry. Tom regularly falls victims to the machinations of Jerry and whatever the bulldog's name is. Bugs Bunny sticks his finger in the end of Elmer Fudd's gun, shotgun and rather than blowing his hand off, it explodes in Fudd's face. But surely we may say, there is a far cry from the harmless violence of Warner Brothers cartoons to the pornographic violence of the most problematic adults-only rated video games. When my nephew was young, he always wanted me to play Super Mario Brothers with him. It's about the only thing that carries over from my childhood to his. Uh, once, uh, after he had gone to bed, my sister and I, I'm 
slightly embarrassed to admit this, stayed up till close to 2 a.m. trying to beat all the various levels of the game, shooting fireballs at the Goombas, those little video creatures, and stomping on their heads, and using whatever other tricks we could to decimate their population. And I can assure you, we bear no moral scars for the Goomba carnage that was left in our wake. We know the difference, I think, between what is harmless and what is fatal. Only a moralistic pedant would equate harmless children's games with the soul-consuming problems of gun violence and the corporate killing of endless war. We know the difference between harmless and fatal, but what about everything in between? We know the difference, but where is that fine line between harmless teasing and deplorable bullying? We know the difference between harmless and fatal, but at what point does a courageous act cease to be a protective act and turn instead into vindictiveness? Now, it's possible we won't be able to answer these questions today, but Following Jesus means we have to at least try. In order to have some framework around our thinking today, it may be helpful to break the problem down into component parts. These aren't exhaustive, but perhaps we can think of violence as a cognitive problem, then a verbal problem, and finally as a physical problem. So let's start with cognitive violence. Now, I am not 100% certain that this sermon will pass philosophical, logical muster because I'm not 100% certain that we can universalize this claim. But when I speak of cognitive violence, I am thinking of the ways in which we put categories in place to understand the world in which we live. Now, a certain amount of categorization is understandable, perhaps even necessary just to get by. Here's what I mean by this. Uh, I'm the pastor of this church, and most of you are members of this church, and together we make some faith claims about what we believe. Say it is our commitment to hospitality and welcome, or our commitment to sharing our resources with the community. By being part of the same group, we can generalize a claim that we see a biblical mandate to hospitality and to being engaged with our community with some degree of commonality. There's nothing wrong with that. We, we share together a common value, and it unites us. Uh, we do this across a whole spectrum of things. What becomes problematic is when the categories become a way of reinforcing otherness. There's nothing wrong with believing we share a common value of hospitality. It binds us together as a community. But if, in turn, we heard that, and I'll just make this up, the members of Feline Episcopalian Church have taken to baptizing cats, and here at First Church, we question the wisdom of baptizing cats. But if we then generalize that all Episcopalians baptize cats, we would head down a very wrong, very unhelpful path. 
And if we further generalized that all Episcopalians were in turn unclean because of their liturgically suspect practice of baptizing cats, at that point we've spun completely out of control. And what we're talking about here, for those paying attention to this, is implicit bias. And yes, I do get that there's absolutely everything in the world wrong with that analogy, but my point is this. Whenever violence happens in the world, it begins with cognitive violence. We make wrong assumptions. We divide the world into like and not like. And when physical violence happens, it is the tragic living out of that cognitive violence. Maude Arbery, George Floyd, Selena Reyes-Hernandez, massage therapist in Atlanta, Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Before each of these tragic altercations, there was a cognitive violence that preceded the physical violence. So it's not accidental that when Jesus told the story of the senseless violence on the Jericho Road, he used as his object lesson a man who would have been seen as decidedly other. I do understand good sense may occasionally necessitate a differentiation between the self and the other, but probably not as often as we do. It generally starts off innocently enough. My siblings and I could remember riding with my wonderful grandmother, and this was back when electric door locks first started showing up on cars, and they were a big luxury, and we would be riding down the road, clearly going, oh, I don't know, 45, 50 miles an hour, and whenever my grandmother saw someone who seemed to be the least bit suspicious, she would reflexively press the button on the door of her Oldsmobile to make sure the doors were locked. Those locks were as loud as a shotgun blast going off, 45 miles an hour riding down the road, and bam, it was an easy aural cue, like and not like, self and other. It's cognitive violence because our generalizations risk doing violence to the humanity of whomever we are thinking about, whomever we are otherizing because we don't know people for who they are, we know them for who we think they are, and that reduces them. And ultimately it reduces us, because to be truly human is to be made for good relationship with God and with neighbor. So it's really no wonder that when Jesus told the story about a merciful, merciful traveler, it was an outsider who helped. And Jesus calls us to be agents of reconciliation in the world. And perhaps that reconciliation starts in our heads. Monitor your thoughts. Check them for faithfulness to God's call to reconciliation. Remember Jesus' teaching that we are to love God and love our neighbors. 
because in so doing, we recover a bit of our humanity. Sometimes our thoughts spill out of our mouths. When this happens and what spills out of our mouths is the overflowing of love, it is a wonderful thing to hear. Most of the time, what spills out of our mouths is neither helpful nor harmful. Some of the time, what spills out of our mouths is cognitive violence given voice. Do you remember a while back that NBC News special that highlighted the problem of bullying? They had test cases where good kids were put into the room with some bullying actors, and it was amazing and frankly disheartening to see what happened. Almost all of the kids struggled with what to do. Peer pressure overwhelmed some. Others simply held back, and a very small minority were secure enough in themselves to speak out on behalf of the one who was being verbally violated. Bullying is verbal violence. Now, I know some will say it's just innocent rites of passage at school. I have a hard time rationalizing that, but I also have an equally hard time throwing young people under the jail for bad judgment. So here is my meddling word for parents, and it is the same meddling word that I have for bosses, and it is the same meddling word that I have for kids. Be mindful what you allow to go into your head, lest it come out of your mouth. Words can hurt, or words can heal. Words, words, words flood the airwaves, sometimes masquerading as news, sometimes as entertainment. And there's just no excuse for listening to words that hurt. It is poison in your brain. When we hear of the diminishment of the humanity of any person for any reason, Christians need to know it for the sin that it is. We need to know it, and we need to be able to distinguish it, because children are amazing observers and terrible interpreters. So it's not remotely coincidental that when adults act badly, children mimic. And if bullying has reached epidemic proportions in our schools, we know where it started. And it wasn't with the kids. Mind your thoughts, because they may spill out of your mouth. Mind your mouth, because it may motivate actions. We do well to remember Jesus' command to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our minds, and with all our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, because in so doing, we will know how to deal with the problem of physical violence. And in this instance, I must confess my rank hypocrisy in that I remember two violent acts in my life with no small amount of pride. The first is the time when, as an adolescent, I finally 
knocked the kid who had been shoving me in gym class into next week. And it was only the fear of being suspended that kept me from leaping on him to exact my revenge once it became clear that hitting him had in fact worked. The other was when a very drunken Princeton graduate student took a swing at me because a friend of mine kept stepping behind me and, and another friend to keep this graduate student from groping her and I wouldn't get out of his way. Once he was off balance, I may have just bumped into him the teeniest little bit and then he was on the floor and I was a hero in my own mind. And I confess these because they seem so incredibly justifiable. And they still do. And that's the problem with physical violence. So often it seems justifiable. Very rarely are we violent for enjoyment. That would be sociopathic. No, the sin of violence must be more seductive because we are, after all, civilized people. Therefore, physical violence must seem to arise out of necessity. And yet the violence we do to others does violence to our own humanity. Remember, that is the purpose for which God has made us, to be in communion with God and with one another. And Jesus reminded us yet again what it means to be in genuine communion with our neighbor. Indeed, our calling to humanity may at times seem to be impossible and Paul, frankly, makes it worse when he writes, Render to no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. Leave room for God's wrath. Live peaceably with all. About the only part of that litany from Paul that seems easy is the part where we're to feed our enemies because Paul tells us in so doing, we will heap burning coals on their heads. I can identify with that part. The rest of it just seems impossible. And yet, and yet we worship the Prince of Peace. We read in the Bible of God's vision for the peaceable kingdom. You remember the one where wolves and lambs lie down together and children and snakes play side by side and no one gets hurt. All that peaceable kingdom stuff sounds like so much nonsense until we remember that it's God's vision for us. It's what God wants for us. I contemplated naming this the war sermon because I know that's what's been on all of our minds of late. But war is simply violence that has moved onto a global scale. The lessons hold. Thoughts lead to words, lead to actions. But I know as well that sometimes life tumbles in and war happens whether we want it to or not. Sometimes, despite our greatest protestations over it. I remember well a story I heard many years ago about the return of a military brigade to a town that had sponsored it during the Middle Ages. As word arrived that the men were returning, the fathers and brothers and sons and husbands of, of the, the village, the townspeople lined the streets at the main 
road into the village, up the hill, all the way to the cathedral. And as the weary warriors entered the city, they resolutely marched past all of their fellow villagers who were remaining silent. Silently, they, they marched together up into the cathedral, and they entered. And the townspeople filed in behind them, and together, collectively, the soldiers and the town that had sponsored them confessed their sin and sought God's forgiveness. And only then, only after the acknowledgement of the sin of war, could the homecoming celebration begin. And that is the right posture of the Christian toward war. It is the right posture of the Christian toward violence. Because violence is not the way it is supposed to be. Mind your thoughts. They become words. Mind your words. They become actions. Finally, let me close with a quotation from Philo of Alexandria. He said, Be kind. Be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. That battle is to hold on to our humanity. And it is our humanity that God will use to reconcile the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
You may be seated. As we come in our service to the sacrament of baptism, Elder Jordana Woodford will represent the session. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here as well these words from Scripture, the promises for you, for your children, for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. And so obeying the word of our Lord Jesus and confident of his promises, we baptize those whom God has called. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show that we belong to God. God frees us from sin and death uniting us with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. By water and the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Christ, and joined to Christ's ministry of love, peace, and justice. So let us remember with joy our own baptism as we celebrate this sacrament. On behalf of the session, I present Eleanor Hikita Minter daughter of Morgan and Ken Minturn, to receive the sacrament of baptism. In presenting your daughter for baptism, it is right that you should make public answer to these questions. First, do you desire that Ellie should be baptized? Relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith and teach that faith to your daughter? Do you, as member of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture Eleanor by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging her to know and follow Christ and to be faithful member of his church. If so, please respond by saying, we do. Through baptism, we enter the covenant God has established. Within this covenant, God gives us new life, guards us from evil, and nurtures us in love. In embracing that covenant, we choose whom we will serve by turning from evil and turning to Jesus Christ. And as God embraces your child within the covenant, I ask you for her sake to reject sin, to confess your faith in Christ Jesus, and to confess the faith of the church, the faith in which we baptize. And all are invited to stand and join together in the ancient baptismal creed. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. We give you thanks, eternal God, for you nourish and sustain all living things by the gift of water. 
In the beginning of time, your spirit moved over the watery chaos, calling forth order and life. In the time of Noah, you destroyed evil by the waters of the flood, giving righteousness a new beginning. You led Israel out of slavery through the waters of the sea into the freedom of the promised land. And in the waters of Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed with your spirit. By the baptism of his own death and resurrection, Christ set us free from sin and death and opened the way to eternal life. We thank you, O God, for the water of baptism. In it we are buried with Christ in his death. From it we are raised to share in his resurrection. Through it we are reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. Send your Spirit to move over this water, that it may be a fountain of deliverance and rebirth. Wash away the sin of all who are cleansed by it. Raise Ellie to new life and graft her to the body of Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon her, that she may have the power to do your will and to continue forever in the risen life of Christ. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, one God, be all praise, honor, and glory now and forever. Amen. What is the Christian name of your daughter? Eleanor Hikita, daughter of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. May God's blessing rest on you this day and every day hereafter. Amen. This is Ellie, and she is the newest baptized member of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And you all have made her an extraordinary promise. It's a truly wondrous thing that you have done because you have said that through the manner of your lives, by what you say, by what you do, you will model for her what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as always, I admonish you to take that promise with the utmost of seriousness. And so I invite you again to affirm it by standing and let us sing together the ironic blessing for Ellie. God's blessings rain down upon us like manna from heaven. 
Sometimes we recognize them as blessings and sometimes we don't. But God's presence is with us in either case. Today we pause on this journey to remember the many times God has been with us along the way and has provided for our needs. Then through the ministry of this church, we join in the work of God in providing for the needs of the people. Let us gather our gifts together and offer them to God in gratitude and praise. The offering plate is on the communion table here in the front for your gifts.
God, and with gratitude we return to you what is yours. May your name and your work be glorified. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious God, we give you praise and thanks for all your mercies. Your goodness has created us. Your bounty has sustained us. Your discipline has chastened us. Your patience has borne with us. Your love has redeemed us. Lord God, we pray for the world. Guide us, Lord, through all the changes and acknowledgments of diversities of people and cultures in the world, that we may have evenness and tranquility of spirit, that we may not grumble in adversity nor grow proud in prosperity, but in serene faith, Surrender our souls to your most divine will. Lord God, we pray for our country. We pray especially during this pandemic time that you will have healing mercy on those ill with COVID and other illnesses and that through the use of the vaccines, you will protect people from infection. We pray for our leaders in both political parties that you will give grace and wisdom in their decision making, and may they often use unselfish compromise in reaching those decisions. Lord God, we pray for our city. We pray that the Holy Spirit will identify key issues for prayer for our city, including the violence in our streets and homes, good and equitable health care for all, quality education for all students, and for all workers in our city, fair and adequate wages. We pray for a corporate unity throughout the city. We pray that the eyes of the spiritual leaders of the state would be enlightened to understand the corporate destiny of our city. Finally, Lord God, we pray for the church. We pray for unity in the church. We pray that your church be filled with supernatural joy, peace, and hope. As the Apostle Paul prayed, May the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the Father. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now hear us, O Lord, as we pray the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In last week's discussion and in the sermon, we talked about the nature of shalom, which is often translated peace, but it's not simply the absence of violence. It is a peace that is so pervasive that it includes 
absolutely everyone within its embrace. That is our calling. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.